Hi, I'm Chris Giuseppe from WhatCopsWatch.com. You're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show podcast. Providing you with complete, detailed, and always educational perspectives when it comes to television, feature films, DVDs, Blu-rays, and the hottest in online entertainment. This week, it's Two Guys Talking Marvel's Avengers 2012, directed by Joss Whedon. The value of a perspective review, no matter the ilk, is that you get time, effort, and memories involved. That equals nostalgia. In 2012, Marvel released Marvel's Avengers, the digital amalgam of the largest grossing movie characters in human history. And folks, it's still growing. No matter which of the characters is your favorite, no matter how much time and effort and detail you think you need to showcase them, Marvel's Avengers delivered it. Get Jarvis to clamp on your super iron suit, strap on your custom firearms, polish up the shield, and get mad. It's time for the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Marvel's Avengers 2012, directed by Joss Whedon here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Kip Lewis, another one of your hosts. I'm David Creed, another host. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn. I've snuck in, and I'm a host, too. <laughs> and it's great to have a literal super Marvel team up here inside the Two Guys Talking Podcast studio. And it's great to have all of you here to review what is a wonderful film from several years ago now on the cusp of the next stage of what happens inside of Marvel's Avengers history. We are officially two weeks out from Avengers Age of Ultron coming. And it is very exciting. But what a perfect time to do the perspective review of Marvel's Avengers. First, some quick housekeeping. Another super mashup, but not Marvel flavored. So recently I met with Two Guys Talking Cars.com host Ron Ryling and What Cops Watch host Captain Christy Giuseppe to record a mashup podcast of their own where we go over the top 10 best police movie and TV cars. And so that was another great outside-the-box total amalgam like we're doing here today with all of you uh, that you should definitely be sure to catch over at whatcopswatch.com, but also over at twoguystalkingcars.com. A lot of fun, and as you guys can imagine right now, a ton of vehicles inside of the cop realm for sure. The Avengers Center Online for Two Guys Talking. Now remember, every movie that has been released by Marvel has a perspective review also over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Avengers. I want you to go and listen to all of those before you go see Avengers Age of Ultron. Make sure you stop over there again. It's twoguystalking.com forward slash Avengers. So guys, let's get straight to the perspective review of Marvel's Avengers 2012, directed by Joshua. Sponsored by the St. Charles Office Center, Sprint's Relay, Missouri, and Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software. Hype. The hype for this movie was extraordinary. Taking advantage of every single instance and opportunity inside of social media everywhere. But I want to know, what do you guys remember about the hype of this movie? David, what do you remember? Well, they started building the hype for it, I think, when they released sort of the, the second step in 
the Marvel Universe. After Iron Man 2, the only thing anyone talked about was an Avengers movie. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that was years and years and years worth of hype. Mm -hmm. And every time they released a new movie that built towards it, Mm -hmm. it was even more hype. Mm -hmm. So you get Captain America, you get Thor, you get Iron Man 2, you get the Hulk movie even. And all anyone could talk about was they're going to make an Avengers movie. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I've ever seen, with the exception maybe of the upcoming Star Wars film, a movie that had years worth of advertising and hype and build up for it like this Avengers film did. Kip, what do you think? First thing that popped in my head when you said about the hype for this movie were some of the commercials that were coming out that weren't actually about the Avengers movie. Mm -hmm. But I remember Mm -hmm. a Dr. Pepper commercial where they had a guy stole somebody's purse, mm-hmm. and a group of men started chasing after him. One threw a garbage can lid at him, Captain America style. One threw a ha- <laughs> something, you know, they did. Like, each member of the Avengers showed up in a civi- you know, as a civilian mm-hmm. in a Dr. Pepper commercial. <laughs> and it was just commercial after commercial products that were not directly related to the movie were still advertising this movie. And they did this without going overboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, to drive not, people away from the show, the right. movie, rather than drawing people to the movie. And not an easy task either. That that overboard stuff happens in a lot of movies, especially big ones that have a lot of hype, but frankly, no payoff at the end at all. Nick, what do you got for hype? Well, I remember the, uh, I want to say it was about eight months before the movie had a release date. Mm-hmm. They showed the teaser trailer. Right, right. Broke the internet. <laughs> Everybody was waiting for it, too. It's like, hey, this is what we're going to do. In about three weeks, we're going to release a teaser trailer, which ended up being 60 seconds long. Mm-hmm. So we're all waiting. Two weeks go by. Teaser trailer drops. Internet breaks. Then we have to wait another four months before the real trailer comes mm-hmm. out. This was your taste. So now you got to wait. So now we're waiting. And we're digging up. Any information we possibly can. We're studying that, those 60 seconds, frame by frame. Mm-hmm. What can we find that's mm-hmm. going to sh- shed some light on what this movie is really going to be about? Mm-hmm. A lot of speculation. Really, the hype, the hype that I remember for this movie was the hype we ourselves generated. We didn't need a trailer to say, I'm going to go see the Avengers. I'm going to go see the Avengers. I've watched all the other Marvel movies. I'm going to go see this. I remember thinking about the Avengers when I saw the first uh, revamp of Spider-Man in 2002. Because if you can make a movie that's that succinct and the special effects work and you get the hero-ness of that film, you could grab another bunch of those people and shove them into a movie. And beyond Fantastic Four, the only other group I ever think of, except maybe X-Men, is Avengers. And that we already knew that Iron Man was on the way and was delivered. So immediately, as soon as Iron Man is delivered, that is an instant paving the way over to an Avengers film. So this movie, the hype for me, started a long time ago. And as David stated, they paid it off almost inside of every single film. So much so that they've now carried a lot of the aspects that were talked about inside of that original hype push inside of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. program that is on standard television currently. And that's what I call the wonder weaving inside of Marvel that they've planned for a decade. This is not something that was cropped in overnight. It's something that's been planned for a very long time. And to see it all pay off, especially as these gargantuan juggernaut movies literally show up and stack on top of each other is amazing stuff inside of Marvel. Two guys talking. The Avengers. The money. 
There are many people I love to stack the money question onto. However, there's one that takes the cake. And he's sitting immediately to my left. David, I need you to tell me what the domestic total gross for this film was. The domestic total gross. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> $750 million. $750, just a bit over, actually, this time. David usually comes in <laughs> underneath. It was $624 million. That's a lot of change. That's, a lot, that's a lot of money. And that's man. just domestic. Where this movie did not open, by the way. I don't know if you guys right, knew right, that. yeah, it opened overseas. I remember it opened that. overseas yeah. almost two weeks before the standard opening mm-hmm. here inside of the states. Very interesting. Any idea on the foreign take, David? Um, gee, I don't know. A uh, billion dollars. Uh, again, just a bit over. <laughs> In this case, it's eight hundred ninety-five million for a total gross worldwide of one point five billion with a B. On it, and if I'm not mistaken, that doesn't make it the highest-grossing film ever, does it? I don't I know. I think it's number three. Really? I think so. Yeah. And what's what's higher? In Avatar. an article I just read, Avatar may well be one of the two that Avatar, are above it. Interesting. But I just read an article about Avengers two, uh-huh. and uh, one of the things they said was that the first movie was the the number three highest-grossing film of all time. Interesting. That's actually a call to you, the audience. Can you tell us what the highest grossing top two movies of all time were? Because obviously, two guys talking didn't do their goddamn homework. Awesome, guys. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> Let us know what you know about the movie. Well, the bottom line, though, is this. Yet another corn combine of cash inside of another perspective view that involves Marvel property. I think it's, it's a more of a math equation than ever wondering if it's going to happen. Just about anything Marvel, uh, look at Guardians of the Galaxy, for God's sake. Yeah. Even that is making a ton of cash last summer. It's, If I'm not mistaken, it was last year's top grossing movie. And so that, it just, it smashes everything. Um, thanks the, thanks the to the inner tubes. Yeah, thanks the to the inner tubes we have. Damn you, James Cameron. <laughs> Avatar and Titanic are apparently on top of the pyramid. So those of you that have cracked open a browser or email window, too bad for you. Anyway, great stuff inside of another Corn Combine of Cash here during a perspective review from Two Guys Talking. Two Guys Talking, The Avengers. The Good. Now, inside The Goods, I've constructed them a little bit differently than we do traditionally inside of the perspective reviews. This feature film was all about meeting something or somebody. And so we've structured them as such. Meeting Coulson. Now, looking into two years of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. television now, Phil Coulson has a ridiculously different veneer than what he had inside this film. I mean, he's not just a kind of an accidental on-the-glass character anymore. He's somebody that we really do know a lot about inside of the realm of Marvel, but also in the realm of Phil Coulson. Not the first meeting of Phil Coulson by any stretch, but it is the in-depth and death asterisk of Phil Coulson. I think it's extraordinary, and again, it's the it's one of the first building blocks of a character that we've all become very familiar with. Yes. Yeah, I I think that the inclusion of Phil Coulson in the cinematic universe is it's a bit of a he's he's a, a bit of a Mary Sue. What would you be like if you were in the Marvel universe? You're not a powered person, but you do get to hang out with all the supers, and you get to fanboy on Captain America when you bump into him eventually and you get to work for Nick Fury and you get to pal around with Maria Hill and you're the guy that they send to go and try and rein in Tony Stark and you're the guy that goes and finds Thor's hammer when it falls to Earth. 
the inclusion of Phil Coulson is the inclusion of the fan into the films mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And he kind of started off sort of as this sort of blank, almost comic relief stand-in in, in the first Iron Man film. But when you started adding in all of the Marvel one-shots that they released on all of the DVD and Blu-ray releases and his inclusion in the other films, he really took on a, a personality that everybody loved. Which is why it made sense that since Joss likes to kill someone in everything he does, that Phil was the guy he killed in this movie. Because everybody likes Phil Coulson and nobody didn't like him. Mm -hmm. He made sense to be the the guy that gets off. That was, you know, the touchstone, the hallmark of the movie that we did love Phil Coulson so much that everybody loved Phil Coulson. All of these different super-powered beings and playboy billionaire techno artists that everybody loved this guy and he gets killed. He gets killed by the big bad and everybody just immediately rallied around Phil. And it gave us something that actually the comics never really did. Mm -hmm. Why they're called the Avengers. Even though if we technically follow, they created the word Avengers before the death of Phil Coulson because it popped up as early as the first Iron Iron Man Man, movie. The Avengers initiative. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so they were using the name, but there was no, what are we avenging? Technically, like in the comic books, it was basically, it sounded good. That's what we called ourselves. You know, started throwing out names. Avengers. Okay, let's call ourselves the Avengers. In this movie, by the death of Coulson, they actually gave a reason why they're called the Avengers. They avenged Phil Coulson's death, and they were going to avenge the Earth if necessary. Yeah, I have to agree with everything he said about... I was listening to a commentary that he was making that he called, was considered the glue that held the movies together. And he kept saying when they say that he was going to be killing, that he was going to die in the movies, but I'm the glue. I'm the glue. Even as they're killing him, says, but I'm the glue that holds the movies together. <laughs> but there's something else that they've really pulled off about Phil Coulson that I really enjoy, and it's every time he appears in the films, no matter what he's doing, even inside of Avengers, where he actually is able to circumvent all security inside of Stark Tower, he 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 appears. And he doesn't appear with the mythos of, I am that important that you must do what I want you to do. He's just kind of appearing. And that they're able to have that relationship with him and everybody inside of the films is really extraordinary. That, that They didn't ever make it where, and now this special super elite ops guy is now coming down to tell you what you need to do right now. It, it has never gotten to that level. And I, that's a stroke of magic for the guy that plays Phil Coulson but also for the writing staff, because I think it would be incredibly easy for him to show up with a shiny briefcase that says, look, it's time for you to come with me, or I've got to open the briefcase. Ready to go? And they've never done that. They've never done that. The one thing that I love about the character of Coulson is that Clark Gregg actually did an interview a few years back stating that there was no guarantee he was coming back after Iron Man 1, the first Iron Man. I mean, he was just the character To introduce the concept of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's all he he's, was. He's the business card carrier. The yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And yeah. he was so beloved in that that small role. I mean, if you take the first Iron Man movie and you whittle it down to everything that Clark Gregg's in, five <laughs> minutes maybe? Yeah. Maybe five minutes. Yeah. And now he's turned into this character that is just so important. I mean, Fury's right-hand man. You want something done? Phil Coulson's your guy. And he'll get it done. And looking very suave about it as well, too. He's yeah. got this this attitude that's like, yeah, I'm I'm important, but I don't act like I'm important. Yeah. He comes to all of our heroes 
as another person. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, like you said, he doesn't have the briefcase saying, yeah. huh, well, you're going to work for us or right. uh, click. Yeah. No, uh, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's beloved by all and unfortunately murdered asterisk inside this film. And again, it's kind of that sucker punch uh, when they take him out of the film and out of the, the memories of everybody that's watching the show. Uh, again, another masterstroke that we actually didn't list inside of the listing here, but it really does belong. Meeting Fury. Now, we've met Nick Fury many times inside of the universe, mm -hmm. but this is where we get to see him in his home environment, which I think is really extraordinary. Yeah. You get to see him with, you know, hands rested inside of the helicarrier, uh, literally driving it with one eye, except he's not driving it, obviously. But he could be inside of the, the stance that he's got with what looks like joysticks inside of the, the command post that he's at. You also get to see him where the helicarrier is just a machine for him. And it's extraordinary to everybody else, including the audience. I really enjoyed that, watching him look at the helicarrier as kind of just his office, where everybody else looks at it as a, wait a second, we're on a flying helicarrier, what? Yeah, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that, it's sort of a visual that you, you gotta you got to watch the movie a couple of times to really pick up on. There's a, a pan uh, up, and, up and out of the bridge of the helicarrier, and... When it gets to its apex, you can see that it's laid out like the eagle in shield. Mm -hmm. And Nick's little podium is right where the head should be. And it's very apropos of the character. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's the head of shield, but more importantly, he's the, the force behind it. He's the mind of shield and not just the guy in charge. Mm -hmm. And you get a little bit more of that, I think, in some of the subsequent films, particularly Winter Soldier. Very much so. But... In the Avengers, you you get the sense that Shield exists because of Nick Fury at mm -hmm. this point. Yeah, that it yeah. easily could have gone away or been rolled into other departments or split and factioned into different things. To, however, Homeland Security and the Marvel Universe needed it to work, mm -hmm. but he has sort of reined it completely in. That it sort of revolves around him, and the Avengers are just sort of an extension of what he's doing. Mm -hmm. uh, using the analogy of the helicarrier is his armor while the Avengers are his uh, shield and sword, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. And you get a real feel for that early on in the film, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to work along the same line is that Fury stands equal to every member of the Avengers as a character in the place where, where most movies, the boss is... The little old guy behind the desk. Yeah, somebody behind the desk. He's, you know, he makes a few. He's ignored. Basically, if you think about it, in a lot of places, especially if you notice in the movies that you see the African American boss, he's ignored. Angry black captain syndrome. Yeah, right. it, mm -hmm. he's an ignored character. He's mocked a little bit behind his things. They know right. what they really don't need. Riggs, I told you that you got a blah 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 blah. Okay, right. Captain, no problem. You're right, mm -hmm. he yeah. isn't. He's actually like you were saying. He is. On par with every single member of the mm -hmm. Avengers, which he is in comic books. Nick Fury holds his own titles. Nick Fury is a is a solid comic character. Yeah. He's not just a peripheral character. I also love that they actually make him an antagonist inside of here when Cap starts to dig and actually finds what's going on inside of what is going to be phase two. I, again, that Nick gets to throw up the shields. Because he doesn't want to get peppered with questions that really aren't important right now. And not because they're not important, but because they're not important right now. <laughs> and I love that. The, the dance of Nick Fury and whether or not he's actually telling you the whole truth. That's a piece of Nick Fury that I think is in a total endearment for the comic books. Oh, yeah. The uh, 
the fact that we we start to see it in Avengers and then they you know, they shove it right in our face over in uh, Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. the fact that Fury is a soldier first to a point. He got to a point in his career where it's like, hmm, I'm seeing how things really are working in the world. Mm-hmm. For a man with one eye, he can see very far into the future. Yeah. Yeah. And he started planning for it. That's why you, you've got all of this hidden technology that he doesn't really want to talk to anybody about. Because if the Avengers don't work, well, we got to protect ourselves some way. Well, and you got to have the technical parachute to jump out and either begin anew or yep. take people with you and start anew. Uh, again, it, it, it's all connected. Something that we've been talking about for weeks inside of the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Oh, yes. It, yeah. it, it, it conveys. It conveys all the way back to this film. Yeah. Well, this was really where Nick Fury got to be a character. You know, in Iron Man 1, he was... Supposed to showing up and having... Right. At the end of Iron Man 1, he shows up and he, you know, does his Sam Jackson thing, basically, for, you know, all of 30 seconds. Then in Iron Man 2, he's not in the Hulk movie at all. In Iron Man 2, he shows up, gives a little exposition, moves the plot along a little bit, and then gone. No character development, no nothing. Hi, I'm Nick Fury. Here's your dad's stuff. And you need to quit being such a jerk. And gone. And you get that in, in, in all the films. He doesn't show up in Thor. Uh, we get some Phil Coulson, which is fantastic, and he speaks to Nick Fury, but we don't get any Fury there. So he's used very sparingly. There's no character development until this film. In that sense, the Avengers film is more of a Nick Fury film than it is any of the other individual members of the Avengers because we get more character development and more screen time for that character than in all the previous outings. Meeting Loki. Ah, Loki. Again, added in at a later date, as I understand it, inside of the original script treatment. So I love that. I love that. I don't know what the script would be without him as the the way that the story is paid off, but it's great that you get to see him here again. And I know you in particular love the character of Loki, Kip. Everybody loves the character of Loki. <laughs> Loki is one of those villains that is so well done that people have been discussing whether he should give his, be given his own movie. Interesting. Because. Wait, would he be lying and disappearing for no reason inside of the movie? Yeah, right. He would. Yeah. You would show up and he would say, thank you for your money. Poof. <laughs> and then you'd get, you know, 90, Look, he did it to boom, us, 90 minutes of nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, yeah. Tom Hiddleston is yes. the reason that yeah, character. Just, Tom, that's. Yeah. The character of Loki has been traditionally in the comic books a very, very good and interesting character and well-written. And it was a well-written part in Thor. But Tom is the reason that is yeah. just so it's, fantastic. Yeah. I was say, Tom Hiddleston, was, if he was to do what you just said, show up, hi, thanks for your money, bye, 90% of the audience would be satisfied. Absolutely. And as long we'd as stand up and we'd give him a round of applause. Right. As, as long as there's a post-credit scene, I think everybody would be in for it. <laughs> i got to go see that again. Come on, let's go get some more tickets. <laughs> Tom reads the phone book. We're in. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think it shows the, the dynamic response that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has that they see a hit they see something that is a jewel in Thor, which is performance of Loki, and they go, you know what? We should probably put that as the, the antagonist in the Avengers well, movie. Well, he's supposed to be there. Right. Loki uh, is, the, is the reason that the Avengers, Avengers came together, together yeah. in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, he put the Avengers together by accident. It's supposed to be one of the big black stains on his career because it's like his, his the fault. The villain resume. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, his villain resume is one of those things that's like it's his fault they came together. Um, and even in this movie, they kind of convey that little concept is he's got this plot, which we'll be talking about later, mm-hmm. 
that actually ends up creating the enemy. Mm-hmm. The, the spearhead of the enemy, no less. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I think what makes this character work when you compare to whether, I mean, Hugo Weaving playing Red Skull, excellent job, totally can, got, you know, came across correctly. And the other characters have come across, but Loki comes across more three dimensional as an actual character which holds his own against Thor, Captain America, because you have the brother, the brother brother relationship, the father son relationship. You're actually seeing a fully developed character, and that's I think is one of the things that actually makes him more than most other supervillains that come out because he is an actual person and i think that's one of the things that keeps with all the other things in the avengers movie that are faceless i mean jachari are faceless that threat is you know just smash smash break smash Mm -hmm. loki gives face gives us something to connect to the character of loki is believable the thing that ties all of these characters in the marvel cinematic universe but also in marvel comics from the get-go is that they're not a pantheon of gods, even if they are gods. They are real, legitimate people with real, legitimate problems. That's why everybody loves Spider-Man. You know, he's a kid with problems in high school. He's a young adult trying to make it through college. He's a young professional trying to make it in a highly competitive field. He's got family problems. He's got girlfriend problems. He's got money problems. Oh, and by the way, he straps web shooters to his wrists. And swings through the buildings and saves people's lives. That's the the hallmark of Marvel characters is that they do touch you on a level where they seem very real. And Loki is probably the most real of any of the Cinematic Universe characters because by the end of Thor, you're almost rooting for him. Literally, Mm -hmm. you're almost rooting for Loki because he is such a, a hallmark, a touchstone into why... Those characters uh, resonate with us uh, on a personal level, mm-hmm. and they do a really good job of it. And not including him in one of the films would be a disaster, I think. Yeah, the only thing that would be more of a disaster is if we didn't mention the perspective reviews of Thor, of Spider-Man, and Captain America, all three of which have been reviewed that you can link to right over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Avengers. Meeting Hawkeye. And I can spell his name, H-A-W-K-E-Y-E, that gives him more time than he actually got on screen inside this film. You mean Hawkeye? <laughs> That's a running gag in the the comic, by the way. And by the way, if you enjoy reading comic books, pick up the most recent run of Hawkeye because it is some of the best comics being written right now. Is it something that could hold its own movie with Jeremy Renner running it? <sighs> That's what I thought. Thank you. Come again. No. If, um, what's his, he's a fantastic actor. That is just a a crap role that has been written for him. It goes nowhere. It does nothing except get taken over, shoot arrows and look cute. (laughs) Done. Except for the fact they are saying that he's supposed to have a much bigger role in this, this coming film. And the fact is, and and, kill him. And, um, the fact that we are now into season three of of arrow, of arrow, the concept (laughs) of a guy with a bow and arrow, Holding his own series is very, or you know, movie is very possible. You just need the right story and the right villain to throw into it. I I hate being the skeptic on the end of the Hawkeye mythos because I like the character. I think I think that he's got a lot of legs or arrows inside of some storytelling someplace. I I think it might be the whoops 
the whoops character inside of the gauntlet of yeah they they give him short shrift in the movies but you know the character is very very beloved by anyone who is familiar with the comic books you know he's the guy he he makes the point to well to spider-man as a matter of fact um the two of them are doing something together and they're standing there talking and hawkeye's just firing arrows into things and spider-man's like what are you doing he's like i have to train constantly he's like i'm teammates with a super soldier uh, a guy in a suit that can fly to the moon and a god. He's like, if I miss once, I'm no longer useful to this group of people. And see, I want that character. I and want that character. I do too. We and all do. We, we do not get that tone of character. It's not just Jeremy Renner. It's the way the character is written. It's the way the character is written. Because Jeremy Renner or can not act. written, actually. Right, right. Jeremy Renner can act. Don't misunderstand my comments about throwing Jeremy Renner under the bus because that's not what's going on here. It's the character of Hawkeye. That is thrown under the bus here, because the—I mean, literally. Inside, hold on, hold on a sec. Inside the commentary of the Blu-ray, one of the very first lines in the first nine minutes of the movie is Joss Whedon himself saying, "I didn't have anything for Hawkeye to do, so hey, why don't we have him taken over?" Okay, that's that's Joss Whedon telling you what they're doing with it, and I call not good enough, especially when we get what you're talking about inside the comic book universe. Mm-hmm. That's endearing. Yeah. Somebody firing arrows for no specific purpose except I have to make sure that I'm on my game every single time. Every everybody else that's super does their super stuff because I ain't super. Right. Yes. There are one of the things in the comic universe we've got going on. There are there are two Hawkeyes. There's the regular Hawkeye that we've seen since the 1960s. Clint Barton. Clint Barton. And then there is the Clint Barton of the Ultimate Universe who is basically the male Black Widow. He's ba- let's see. Which one of these two is going to make Mike mad? <laughs> well, the thing is, is the movie great. version is a little bit of a hot, is uh, a little bit hybrid, of con- yeah. is a little of a hybrid of the two of them. The movie, the the ultimate version, the more recent version that was created, just to give you an idea, of one scene, he was captured by the, vil- the bad guys, strapped to a chair, had no weapons. He peels out his fingernails. And uses them as lethal projectiles and basically kills everybody in the room and escapes. Okay, insert the tone. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't, where the hell do I go with that? No, my point oh, is, he's is so that, lethal. What I'm saying is, is what? there are many different ways. There are two different ways they can play Hawkeye. And they can <laughs> well, play him on. as. Hold on, we got to dig into that. Maybe Hawkeye. Maybe Hawkeye should have been put into the bad category for this perspective <laughs> review. Uh, uh, yeah. Fingernails is, is lethal projectiles. Takes out the bad guys with his peeled yeah. out fingernails. Yeah, sure. It, 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 he's more in the Ultimate Universe. He's more reminiscent to me of Bullseye. Yeah. Yeah. Any someone who can pick up anything and make it a lethal projectile. Just strapping him to a chair does not stop him from being lethal. He. he they made him. Not the comic Clint Barton we're used right. to. Not the always questioning his own worth Clint Barton that we get in the regular, the 616 universe. He's a, a cold-blooded killer. He's an assassin. And he, he does have a little bit of a, a sense of humor, but it's much it's much blacker than everything in that Ultimates universe is much blacker, I think. They try to combine this a little bit in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right, There's a lot of stuff they pull from the Ultimates in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as opposed to the standard, regular 616 Marvel Universe. And they sort of do a mashup. And I, I honestly think that Hawkeye is a wash. He, he didn't get the best of either world, unfortunately. And we're left with what he is in the Avengers movie, which is second fiddle, third fiddle. 
fifth fiddle. No, we've ninth. got nothing for him to do ninth. until the end of the movie. Right. So let's give him no all this fiddle for do. you. That's right, that's yes. what it turns into. Dude, no fiddle dude, for the, you. The last arrow that he pulls out of his quiver is the fiddle arrow. He may as well pull that off as he's turning around backwards and start playing the fiddle that he pulls out of his quiver. I have high hopes for Age of Ultron for his character. I agree. I think they they have beefed the character up. Joss Whedon is get, is saying, "Hey, sorry I screwed you last time out. I'm making it up to you." <laughs> but look, right. th- this is the last thing I have to say about Hawkeye inside this film. And again, it's Hawkeye, not Jeremy Renner. We have just run a segment inside of this podcast that was longer than his character's time inside <laughs> of the feature film Marvel's Avengers. I think you come again. Touche. Meeting Natasha. So she could be just the pretty face, boob job, grab everybody with her crotch and flip them into unconsciousness woman. All right. And she's not. They they totally are able to paint her, whether it's through the introduction where she is strapped to a chair and not only kicks everyone's ass, but also answers the phone in between it all. That's extraordinary. And then you've got the wonderful scene where she and Loki... She totally paints the picture where, oh, woe is me. I'm going to be the the whiny the whiny gal character inside the movie that can't take the pressure, blah. Except she's totally playing him for information. Right. Brilliant story writing and small story writing that is brilliant that could surely be grafted over to anywhere for Hawkeye. Thank you very much. Actually, sure. that's the thing. I, I believe that they spent so much time building up more of Black Widow. That's one of the reasons why Hawkeye kind of got the shaft, and the nice little uh, Sam L. Jackson joke right there for you folks, got the shaft in Avengers because you've got two characters who are basically the same, except one of them uses a bow and arrow. Well, In the cinematic universe, they've built them up to be almost the same. Partners. We know that they were evidently partners for a long time. Side by side. Both skilled. Yet... I'm sorry, we're going to spend more time, camera-wise, on this hot redhead. Um, uh, and I'm okay with that. Because, well, yeah, I'm okay uh, with that, too. Uh, but. Of, the, of the two characters, she's the one that needed building. Because you you, just, you don't have it for Hawkeye in general. I'm, I am literally trying to think of what they could have done more inside of Avengers to build up Hawkeye. And not to get back on the Hawkeye <laughs> plane, but I'm trying to figure out what they could have done with him. To do anything with him that would have equaled anything as good as what they did with Black Widow with just a tiny little bit of time that they spent. Joss Whedon is a feminist. He'll tell you he's a feminist if you ask him. He likes to write roles for women that are strong and important. And in Buffy this, and well, in everything, mm-hmm. Dollhouse, Buffy, even Firefly, there were lots of strong alien women. Alien Resurrection. Alien Re- lots yeah. of strong women in everything he writes. And in this film, he was given one. He was given one woman to play with. Colby Smulders and Maria Hill exist, but she's, yeah. she's a minor character, a yeah. very minor character. Yeah. So he's given one woman to do what he does as a writer-director, which is give them a voice Give them something to do, make them important, make them relevant equals to the men around them. And that's why we get so much great Natasha in this her scene with Banner when she goes yeah. to India to get Banner back. Even just those little you know nuggets like that, they're done well because he likes to write for women. This was his only option in this case. If he's gonna focus enough attention on a particular character, uh, Black Widow then some of the other stuff's going to have to fall to the wayside, which is probably why we get such a weak Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah. But it's not just 
this movie. She is probably one of the strongest aspects or one of the strongest things that came out of Iron Man 2. I agree with that. Oh, sure. I agree with that. She was create. you know, it's like you were introduced to the character very, you know, subtly. And then you get to that great action scene where she takes out the guards in... While that, happy struggling like, with yeah, one happy guy, having yeah. one guy, and she takes them out like they weren't like, even there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was the perfect vehicle to show us what a Black Widow character is like. Mm-hmm. And all, and all and, while, and this is something to perfectly piggyback on. It is it is the piggybacking on of what they've created inside of Agents of Shield now with the essentially Black Widow Academy. No, you're talking Agent of Carter. Uh, Carter. That's exactly what they were painting. Inside of the Agent Carter miniseries, inside of Agents of Shield, yeah, that yeah. that whole the Academy of the Black Widows. Sure, I, I love that. That's something to build on. What they don't have is the Hawkeye Academy. <laughs> but going with again with Black Widow is she is now basically taking her position as being Marvel's premier female character for now. For right. now. For now. Yeah. But the th- Marvel wants to put Captain Marvel into that position. Yeah, it's very soon. I don't know if they're going to be they've been trying to do it comic-wise and it's not gelling like they yeah. want. It, we, it used to be Storm, it used to be some other characters, but Jessica I think Jessica Jones Sonic, is yeah. is huge as far as strong women go in the comics right now. The Alias series Anybody who's a fan of comics, go out and buy that. That's some good stuff. Some of Bendis' yeah. best stuff right I there. would say probably his best stuff. Yeah. But Scarlett Johansson, I think, is half of this. People like the character in this role. And I think that's part of the magic. I mean, the strong writing. She fits the part. Believable. I mean, it all comes together. It's like one of these just magical... Some of the characters we're going with. Evans. Chris Evans and Captain America. They're just perfect together. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. I agree with yeah. that too. Yeah, yeah. Meeting Banner. I love this scene. We talk about it in memorial inside of everything, two guys talking, where the actors that can say so much when they're literally saying nothing really do matter and really do make an impression. Absolutely. And it is pulled off inside the first six minutes of this movie where all of us know instantly that it could all go wrong. That it could all go green, and there'd be a whole bunch of guys in black outfits being thrown every direction, and that it doesn't happen is almost a sense of satisfaction in itself because you knew it could happen. That that scene you talked about it when we were talking about Natasha recently, where she it, it's got Banner and he thunders his fist down on the on the box, and out of absolutely nowhere she stands from n- nothing in her hand to instant drawdown somehow with one chambered ready to put in his head. That is what all of us were thinking the instant you heard the box get hit. Oh, yeah. And that we got to see it and be front and center with that, especially with Mark Ruffalo. Uh, that That is special inside of this movie. It really is. Meeting Hawkeye. Just kidding. Meeting Cap. Again. Okay, so if you remove everybody from this film and you have... Nine meetings and introductions of Captain America again. Mike satiated. Thank you. Roll credits. (laughs) But again, we get to meet Cap inside of that little splash that we had inside of original. Oh, the end of the original Captain America. The first Captain America, yeah. And this is the uh, that extended edition scene to that that graphs right into the movie and pulls you along just like it did at the end of the original Captain America film. I it's extraordinary writing. It blends everything together. It goes back to the connective tissue that Nick and I are talking oh, about yeah. in Agents of Shield. And what get what's gets you is that they're not the same writers. No. They're not the same directors. No. 
the thing that's constant between them are well, not even sometimes the movie. Um, the actors have changed in a Hulk, yeah, <laughs> specifically. Uh-huh. But the biggest thing is the mostly the connection is the same. Act, mostly the same actors have been going through this thing, and that's the connecting point. Mm-hmm. But the writers and the directors have changed for each one of these movies mm-hmm. up to now, and it's kind of still coming across seamlessly. Yeah, something David and I have talked about at lunches forever. I think is there is a roadmap. That has been made for probably more than a decade at this point. And the roadmap is what makes all of the delicious connective tissue that we always talk about, where it's all planned out. The most recent edition of Daredevil is probably the best sample I can think of. Somewhere inside of a drawing board, somebody said, you know, we got to have some Daredevil someplace. How are we going to do this? Well, here, what if we put it on Netflix? Yeah, well, let's put it on Netflix. And you know what? Let's not make him really super at all. Where inside of Daredevil, spoiler alert, Those of you that are watching Daredevil, it has nothing to do with him being super. It has everything to do with effective story writing. Yes! Yes! That is the genius of really great Marvel storytelling, is that it's about the story and then the other stuff that happens. And Daredevil pulls it off wonderfully, just frankly like this movie does. Everybody's got a suit, everybody's got a power, everybody's got their position. But it's about the storytelling that propels the story. Meeting Iron Man. Irrepressible, unforgettable. Every time we talk about him not being in the Iron Suit for the next film, whether it's a standalone Iron Man movie or yet another Avengers outfit or yet another Captain America movie, we all go, wait a minute, no no Robert Downey Jr.? What? And we get to meet him again here. He's welding underwater this time, but then he goes back to Stark Tower and he is the irrepressible jokester that must get in a quip but is still human somehow. Uh, he has forged a character that, like a phoenix, he has risen from the drug-infested fire that was his younger life. And I love, love, love watching him in the role. I almost wonder if we're seeing something here that, in a positive way, is the Adam West Batman. Where it yeah. is so identified. Yeah. It's no, Adam absolutely. West Batman, Adam West Batman. And I don't, that think, that, I don't think that Adam West would... Uh, I think he would have a word with you about... Comparing them in a negative way because Adam West relishes in being Batman as much as I think Robert Downey Jr. now relishes in being Iron Man. The reason Iron I was Man. going with negative is it's been a drago in his career though since then, and he's had a hard time. And people had get you know had, where because I mean even as I saw recently the thing where the kid with the prosthesis. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, RDJ. Yeah, and RDJ. With, going to give that kid the Iron Man prosthesis arm. It's like he's his name, his real name, and the Iron Man character are never going to be apart from each other. Right. Nobody and else. I think, he I, I, finally, I, com- I think he finally relishes that yes. as opposed to the idea of four and out or five and out or whatever his contract was for. That's why I don't think we're going to see Tony Stark completely leave the Marvel Cinematic Universe anytime soon. I really do believe that Robert Downey Jr. has really, really embraced that. The the charitable things he's done recently, uh, appearances he's done. Uh, he was on Jimmy Kimmel the other day, and he was dressed in a reddish suit from head to toe. Uh, nobody else looked the least bit like their characters. Robert Downey Jr. looked just like Tony Stark. I think it's just, I think he's finally embraced it as something that's a positive. He's gone and done other projects since the first Iron Man movie, worked with very good directors, worked with very good other actors. He was in a movie with Robert Duvall. They've done decent box office. They've been critically acclaimed. So it, it hasn't hampered his 
other endeavors in the least bit to be this force of good. I, I can't think of any other way to describe it. The joy that he relishes in that video of giving that kid the arm. When someone off camera, I believe the child's mom says, do you know who this is? And he says, uh, yeah, it's Iron Man. And he goes, and, and do you know his name? And he goes, yeah, his name's Robert. The, the look of just joy on Robert Downey Jr.'s face at that moment was, this is something I can do for the rest of my life. I really can do. And you get that feeling in, in some of the interviews he does, that attitude of, I'm done, I, it has sort of faded away, I think. Well, the, the great thing about it is you go all the way back to the very first time we saw Iron Man. Even before, go a year before the movie came out. This was a gamble. This was a gamble for Huge. for John Favreau as a director. This was a gamble for Robert Downey Jr. as an actor. And this was a gamble for, at the time, not affiliated with Disney, Marvel Studios. Iron Man was going to be the film that made them or broke them. If Iron Man failed, we never would have gotten anything else from that company. And luckily enough, star the, the stars aligned. Mm-hmm. And everything worked out. Well, not only that, the money aligned. Well, the money aligned. You also have, again, to go back to the guy that we're talking about specifically, Iron Man slash Tony Stark slash Robert Downey Jr. All aligned. Mm -hmm. Meeting Stark Tower. It's been in hundreds of comic books probably to date. And they were able to represent it so much so that the A that's on the front of the building was actually delivered to Robert Downey Jr.'s house after this was all said and yeah. done is amazing to me. And I love hearing stories like that. Right. He doesn't know how they did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I love hearing stories like that. The the tower that we get a glimpse at here and that I'm guessing we'll have across several different motion pictures is tremendous. It It is literally the embodiment of, look, it's not just a suit of armor. It's a structure now in the New York skyline. Mm-hmm. It pays off. It showcases wonderfully the skill set and the money, but more importantly, the passion that Tony Stark puts into absolutely everything. You, you get to see it behold. Meeting the Helicarrier. There are a few things that I remember as a child inside of comic books that are more impressive than the Helicarrier. And it's because and they even did it with Nick Fury, though it was a black Nick Fury as opposed to the, the white guy that I remember looking like David Hasselhoff in the comics that I remember. Uh, but they literally give it to you inside this movie where they've got Nick Fury essentially driving the vehicle with the joysticks as they, they pan the camera off as they then pull out of the helicarrier showing the eagle uh, thing that David talked about. But inside that scene, I'm looking at Nick Fury driving the helicarrier and it is massively awesome uh, looking at captain america and uh, and banner looking over the edge of the ship as the turbines spool up who who hasn't ever dreamed of being on the edge of the helicarrier as those enact and here we are it's great stuff i think the helicarrier is almost if you want to say why the marvel movies are succeeding the helicarrier is actually that whole thing is the whole is the whole reason encapsulates why these movies are succeeding mm-hmm. they're fun yeah yes we see you first off you have just the visual awesomeness of that mm-hmm. of the carrier rising out of the sea mm-hmm. going into the air that's like the ideal of a helicarrier flying comic fans have been seeing it for decades but that still is a mind-blowing thing to actually see it mm-hmm. but on top of that they have fun with you have Banner making comments about, yeah, me inside of a metal tube underwater, yeah. And then he goes like, oh, yeah, this is much better. Mm-hmm. And then to the joke where earlier in the thing, Captain America makes a comment, says, yeah, nothing's going to surprise me anymore. And, ba- and Fury goes, want to bet 10 bucks or 20 bucks? 10 bucks. 10 bucks. And 
right after the scene, they get in the thing. You see, and Cap, silently slides money. He over. just slides ten dollars <laughs> over to to Fury and like. That kind of communication relationship that they have between the characters yeah. inside of characters that are still reasonably brand new to each other. They don't they don't know each other. They don't they have no yeah. there's no previous repartee that you can build on, but that they've already got that and it's it's just an inn where there's a, a literal sleeve of communication happening like that. And I love it's that. something that touches base to everybody. Mm-hmm. We comic fans love the superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we look forward to that. But you know, the general audience these are some of the things that speak to them too. It's like they see the humor in this. They it gives them a full picture. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the great things about the Helicarrier that is the hallmark of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is it is outlandish but believable. Mm-hmm. The way it's presented is, oh yeah, absolutely, I can totally see that thing flying around. Oh great! As 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 completely outlandish as an aircraft carrier with four turbines on it that flies and cloaks is so quickly it, it, it's <laughs> it's completely outlandish but there it is you completely buy it there is you don't even have to suspend your disbelief at this point agreed it just is what it is agreed. You, you buy it instantly totally a agreed. non-comic fan watched this movie with me they were unimpressed with most of what they saw the helicarrier was something they didn't even blink at right i think that speaks directly to something that you see in movies like back to the future where you guys know right now you all know even if it's only a silver car if it travels at 88 miles an hour, well, it can travel back in time. You're right. And that's it's exactly the same kind of... We now use it as nostalgia to prey on silver cars, but you could be in any car traveling. Look, we're almost at 88 miles an hour, which you shouldn't be driving. But if you're at 88 miles an hour, you're going to travel back to the future. I, I, I love that, and they've really pulled off a tool inside of the storytelling here with the helicarrier. It's tremendous. Meeting Thor. Let's start this one off by telling everyone that you can go over to twoguystalking.com forward slash Avengers and listen to the Thor Perspective Review, which is one of my favorite movie reviews. Because, guys, I was ready to hate me some Thor. My hallmark comment about Thor originally was, yeah, let's talk about the Rainbow Bridge. Right. Yeah. And they pulled it off. Bye, Frost. Bye, Frost. Yeah. Masterfully. The masterful pulling off of the Rainbow Bridge. It's Chris Hemsworth, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> it definitely it is. is. All they needed inside of the 12-foot thundering steeds was some dude in purple with a bow and arrow. <laughs> anyway, oh. the, 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 the best part uh, inside of Thor, obviously, was not just Thor, but the pulling off of these people are gods, except they're not. They're aliens. Right. And as soon as you can grab that, and pull it through the realm of reality, you instantly have what we see here. And it works perfectly. It works perfectly because we've had 30 years of Chariot of the Gods, basically. We had Stargate. We had the X-Files. We had an a, a numerous number of things where people said, look, the ancient gods, even Battlestar Galactica to a degree, sure. the ancient gods are, are a legitimate thing. They're just not what you think they are. Correct. It was not hard to take that step, that journey, when you get to the first Thor movie that, oh, okay, it makes perfect sense. The Rainbow Bridge is the transporter. Okay, that makes a whole lot more sense to me. Rather than rainbow crayon color, look, it's the well, Bifrost. A, 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 you know, a literal, a literal rainbow that drops down <laughs> yes. out of the sky and you walk across it as though it were a bridge. 
the other bits of it, how the magic is technology and technology is magic. I think they're going to have to backtrack hard on that when they get to uh, Doctor Strange coming soon. They're going to have to explain that not all magic is sufficiently advanced technology like they suggest with Thor. But Thor in the Avengers, I, I, he was almost a fifth wheel. The, there's the, the brief fight between them when he first shows up where he's come to get Loki. Iron Man and, and Thor sort of slug it out a little bit. And then Cap comes in and, you know, now children stop. And then there's the Thor versus Hulk, which is really, in the comics, the, the way the Avengers come together is Loki controls, sets up the Hulk to look like a bad guy, and they, they come to, to smash, mm-hmm. smash him. Mm-hmm. And there's been several great comics and several great animated films where the Hulk beats up on Thor and Thor beats up on the Hulk. And in the current Avengers Assemble TV show they're running on Disney XD, it's a running gag that the two of them are constantly trying to outdo each other as to who is the strongest and, and, and walloping each other. But it almost seems like an afterthought in this movie. It, it they had to squeeze it in. It was something everyone wanted to see, Hulk versus Thor. And they, they literally had to squeeze it into the film. And I see, I think it paid off squeezing it in. I think if you'd have had the 8 to 12 minutes of nothing but Thor and Hulk beating on each other, I, I don't know what value that would have brought anything. Because you don't need it. You don't need it in the movie. Yeah. I don't know if it is squeezed in. Because I think the one reason why it feels like it's squeezed in is because it ends, it starts and ends abruptly. Very, that's exactly what it but is. But that actually is the only way to do it without making it the center point of the movie. Yes, that mm. I because, totally agree And with also that. the other factor is, is the Hulk-Thor fights, with a very few exceptions, always end in a stalemate. Yes. They don't ever end in a real conclusion and that's how this movie is how the movie played it is the hulk is easily distracted somebody shot him in the back it's like oh new threat squirrel chasing after Uh the um, shiny object and ended the fight because they could not have it would not make sense in this movie to end to have the story come to have that fight come to any conclusion it had to be interrupted Mm. that's why i said i'm not so sure it's squeezed because no, I, I think it is, though, because each time they're fighting, there's a quick, abrupt end of the fight, but the end of each fight swings the other way. So the the last little iteration yeah. of the fight between the two is when you have Hulk punching Thor, who's kind of worn out after falling yes. down. He stands up and... Sucker punch. Right, right. Like, right. And, but yeah. that's that's the swinging of the pendulum to the other direction after the other one. So it, it works, and now they're ready for the next film, where they have that little repartee again. Yeah, it just... I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. The only, actually, the one part where I would kind of agree where it seems a little bit like is in the final scenes where Cap says, okay, plug up the hole. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, he goes up, he goes to the tower, he starts throwing lightning bolts into the, into the portal. And then all of a sudden he's back and fighting with everybody else. And it's like, I thought you were supposed to be blocking the portal. Wasn't he called in essentially to be the cavalry for the giant invading aliens though? No, this was, that was, um, this was after this, he was supposed to go to stop them from coming through. But the thing is, it didn't quite seem like they had a what they were doing with him, how they were using him in the final fight was a little bit might be a little bit more on the line of trying well, to fit him in. And I have a, I have a question for the God of Thunder: How about calling down enough lightning to stop everybody? <laughs> if you can call the electrical field of the planet onto something, then why don't you call the electrical field of the planet onto something? In any case, it was great to see Thor inside of this, even though it was brief. Even with his little short little repartees with the Hulk, I thought it was great to see Thor here. 
the meeting of the big three and pulling off the toss. In comics, in this, which, um, when Thor shows up, we have this initial scene where Thor and Iron Man get into a fight, mm-hmm. which is classic Marvel comics. Marvel superheroes have been fighting one another since the 40s mm-hmm. between, you know, Human Torch and Prince Namor. Mm-hmm. You know, in classic Marvel fashion, the two superheroes meet one another. They start fighting, you know, hitting one another. And then there's this scene where Captain America arrives. He throws the shield, hits Iron Man in the head, it ricochets off, hits Thor in the head, ricochets off, and then he catches the shield. It happens so fast that for a second I didn't realize what happened. Mm-hmm. But it was like, this is a scene we have seen in comic books for... Ever. 60 years yeah. where he throws the shield, hits one person, bounces, ricochets off, hits a second person, ricochets off, and comes back to him. And it's like the speed that we have, you know, comics are still motion, mm-hmm. still pictures. The movie conveyed exactly how that would look in real life. That was one of my, you know, one of those things like comic made lot alive. Yeah, the forest fight, without question, is one of the big ones. The other thing inside that scene is the crushing onto Captain America's shield and laying waste to the forest. Yes. You know, that, that, that all of that is quintessential comic book that's pulled off a lot. The meeting of the plan. Inside of a lot of two guys talking properties, one of David's favorite sayings is... That's your plan? Really? <laughs> and inside of this one, it actually works for the most part. Tell us the plan, David. So the bad guy's plan is the big bad, Thanos, gets the little bad, Loki, gives him a staff with one of the Eternity Gems in it, we we assume, and says, what I want you to do is go to Earth and open a portal so that I can send my monkey minions through to conquer the planet. Though I'm still, to this day, hazy on why Thanos cares to conquer the planet Earth. Or if that was really his intention in the first place. So, yes. uh, Okay, it's a good plan. I'm going to use the Tesseract to tear a a wormhole in space to allow these beings from the far side of the galaxy or the far side of the universe to pour through to conquer the planet Earth. For no discernible reason, of course. And Loki's Loki's plan is also kind of wanky because once you've got the Tesseract and you're a god, shouldn't you just be able to activate it? Well, that's where I was going is I think it's a test by either Thanos or the the other to see what Loki as a god slash demigod slash alien, what he's actually capable of. So surprisingly enough, I, I think the whole alien invasion is a total test. I I would actually have to disagree because what I pulled from the movie was Loki wants revenge. Loki wants revenge. He knows Thor, his brother, loves Midgard. He loves Earth. Thanos finds Loki drifting out in the ether. He knows that the Tesseract, one of the Infinity Stones, is on Earth. I tell you what I'll do, little guy with your horned helmet. I'm going to send you to Earth. You're going to bring me the Tesseract. I'll give you an army. You can have the planet. I want the Tesseract. That's what I got out of it. Mm. See, that's I what, could be wrong. No, see, that's what I was saying. That was what I was thinking is Thanos' plan is he wants the Tesseract. And what your point about Loki is, yeah, he wanted to destroy the planet. Because I have never, when I watched the movie, I never truly got the feeling that Loki really liked working for Thanos. Of course right. not. He yeah. doesn't like and, to be beholden to anyone. We, right. So his... His relationship with that was forced. Actually, to a certain degree, when I was reading it, to me, it's like 
He's not even really sure he wants to win this war. Thanos is something to fear. Something sure. that even Loki fears. And it's like, yeah, it's better to be in Odin's jail than serving Thanos. But so I'm not sure whether he's you know, he's not consciously aware of if, such a thing. If Thanos' plan was I, I want the Tesseract, then Thanos comes to Earth and takes it. But he doesn't. But, but he's got to re- be revealed then, and uh, isn't that the whole haha of what happened? Right. To so that's the plan. But Seriously, <laughs> I, 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 Thanos is lazy. That's, that's what, the problem. Right. If Thanos is lazy, or we don't want to show his face until maybe there's no five it, six years from now. I, well, ma- there's ma- two fa- maybe maybe there's no engines on the chair. Yeah. <laughs> well, there He's is just drifting in yeah, space. Yeah. The let's say the Bring real reason. Donut. The real reason is is they're doing the slow build to the character. Sure, that no, is I, the real yes. real world reason. Story wise, reason could be because if you notice, he does in the same thing in the Guardians of the Galaxy. He is not going directly to get the um, Power Stone. He sends Ronan to get it. Sure. So maybe we're going to find out that there's some reason why he's working through intermediaries to yeah. get these things well, because he main because if you follow the normal if they follow the comic book universe there are other beings more powerful than Thanos that if they saw him doing this right, would yes. intervene it, it, eternity Galactus whom they don't own the rights to. Yeah. But there's there an assortment other, of other people right, who would so be they, very upset with. Right. Right. Watch the, the, bottom line, the bottom line is the plan is to introduce as many characters as humanly possible to <laughs> right. cash in on the well, Marvel machine. You know, Period. If, paragraph. If Thanos, is, if Thanos's plan is I have to, I have to go through it. Let's say, let's 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 posit that he has to use an intermediary to go and get it. Uh, give idiot Loki because, quite frankly. Give idiot Loki a, a vast army and tear a hole in the universe to pour them through? Or do you just send Gamora in, she beams into where the Tesseract is, she picks it up, and she leaves? See, I I, I, I think what you have to remember, though, is that Thanos didn't see the Thor movie. I, I would assume, <laughs> nor did he see Iron Man 1 and 2. Right, right, well, right. Also remember, they kind of brought also this hint at the very end of the movie. They had no idea what Earth was like. Correct. Earth sure, was sure. unknown to them. I, I, I'll and give so that. there was basically this concept was, oh, I mean, even if they thought Loki was an idiot, it's like <laughs> if this planet is worthless and it's like this planet, you know, this planet's right. going to be nothing to deal with. I mean, we can send a few people riding bikes is enough to take care of this planet. And see, that's why I kind of go back to I think it was I don't think we're ever going to get the movie where see, it was a test. But you get to see what kind of powers Loki has and doesn't have. I, for, for all intents and purposes, Loki actually succeeds in quite a bit of his mission. He sure. gets he gets Banner to totally rage out. He gets the Tesseract, mm-hmm. but then oh the rest my, of the mission yes. doesn't pay off. No, it doesn't. It pay, then he, he goes, gets goes cocky. south quick. <laughs> yeah. He goes he gets south cocky. quick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they could fall as well. And let's face it, there's also a certain degree of this movie. The movie's about the Avengers. It's not about. The Loki, Chitauri. The villains, right. About I, the Chitauri. I it is about Loki, but it's not about the invasion. The invasion is just, we now get a chance to see them in action. Wait a second. Like the very beginning of this movie, doesn't Loki activate the Tesseract remotely from across the universe and walk through a portal? Yep. Okay, so that was your plan? <laughs> Come on. And that's where we ask you guys, what do you think Loki's plan was and why? Let us know what you think by going over to our Facebook presence. That's facebook.com forward slash two guys talking. The number two guys talking. Start a new thread or leech on to one of the ones that's there and tell us about your beloved hatred of Hawkeye. No, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> of what you thought of Loki's plan. Hey, you know, he's going to kick ass in this next movie. Before we jump to the next segment, I, I, I do lament that that was your plan a lot. And in this case, it, it, is ju- it, is just, it is just as salient in this case as it is in most other times I use it. But let me say that it doesn't distract from the joy of the film. True. Oh, no. Totally true. The, the, it's a ride, That's, and you're and, on and it, and you did, buy it while you yeah, watch it. That's right. what I said. This movie is about <laughs> the Avengers. Avengers. Yeah, it's about introducing these people, <laughs> and it's like the invasion is just we need to show the people in action. <laughs> and that's why they, it's why they're so faceless and yeah. so yeah it's definitively a faceless horde there's a reason why though the masks are a little bit different and the skin tone and height of the chitari might be a little bit different they are faceless ominous stormtroopers yeah, yeah they are sure that do mostly nothing when they arrive <laughs> that actually <laughs> they just have better that, they, they die stormtroopers well. they die real they, well they cling to buildings well yeah. hey great job way they, to destroy well. way to destroy bricks what an idiot and that's the other thing. If of the places you're going to beam into, how about not a giant stronghold like I don't know New York City? <laughs> New York City, right? You know, I, well, I you could, that one you could have had you could have had three or four million Chitari in the the wastes of Kansas before anyone even showed up. <laughs> yeah, and it's remember, like from the middle. Right. In. But that goes back to your point about Loki being cocky, <sighs> which goes to <sighs> things as the reason why he wants a monument. Because even Iron Man was making the comments like, well, where is he going to do this? He wants a monument. He wants everybody to see him. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, that I'll, is part I'll, of the fact that he's I'll, got I will, to. I will acquiesce to that. I just know that the infrastructure you could have commanded and taken. If you'd have done things like even more taking over of something like, I don't know, a, sh- a shield stronghold. <laughs> if you could have done five or six of those first and taken out some of the underlying infrastructure that was in your way. I think that might have been something to, to look at. Hydra wouldn't let that happen. <laughs> Hail Hydra. Two guys talking. The Avengers. And then everything goes to hell. Then the rest of the movie happens. And, and it's quick. The, the, the processing inside of the last, what, 40 minutes of the movie is super lightning fast. This is the movie that moves where you also don't want to get out of your seat to do anything because there's so much awesome going on on screen. It's tremendous. The last I would say the movie. the only movie that has the same kind of dynamic pacing running towards the end of the the climax, where it's just nonstop action. You got to stay there and watch the whole thing because it's just an incredible set piece after an incredible set piece. Would be, of course, the masterpiece that is Commando. <laughs> Pardon me for a second. <laughs> It's my second favorite Alyssa Milano movie. <laughs> okay, because I thought if you mentioned the fourth Indiana Jones film, you were going to have murder, death, kill inside this room for sure. Okay, so, <laughs> yes, Commando. How could I possibly forget about Commando? Holy f***, enter the tone. What the hell? Where the hell do we go? <laughs> Insert the tone, please. Faster! Two guys talking. The Avengers. The secret to Banner's management of the Hulk. This is where I said is the second scene where I say is comic book page comes to life. Yeah. Is when Hulk hauls off and punches the Leviathan in the nose, even though all laws of physics are being broken here, (laughs) (laughs) that he hits that thing and the creature just comes to a complete dead stop. Its back keeps going forward and then... They followed up with Iron Man shooting in, you know, 
several rockets into his exposed flesh as the metal plates start flying off of it. To me, it was like the Hulk's punch was just a it's like that's a panel from a comic book. Yeah, just made alive. Yeah, not only that, but it it is one of the very few things out of that very first initial Michael Chiklis as the Thing movie where he stands on a bridge and stops a Mack truck. That was one of the very few, at least remotely redeemable seconds of that of that movie. And th- th- this was pulled off easily as a discernible comic book rip. And really what I'm referring to inside of this bullet point is also the fact that we, go, we have Banner go literally from, hey, look, I just pulled up on this 1940s motorcycle, and oh, it's time to go kick ass. And Raw. instant My Hulk. My favorite line out of the entire movie i use that line to this day (laughs) you want to know my secret i'm always angry yeah boom yeah punch let's get it on yeah i lost it in the theater when that happened wasn't expecting it and uh, immediately just you know geek gasm all over the place yeah yeah, all all of the times that we've seen Hulk transform, it's usually over a period of, I don't know, maybe a minute or so, mm-hmm. as opposed to instant turn in a different direction and now you are the Hulk. Which is and- a very interesting thing that they did in this film because the first time we see him transform, he's trying to stop it. Right, he's fighting. He's it. fighting back. And I think that's why we had a more aggressive Hulk fighting anything that moved in the helicarrier. But then when he becomes the Hulk at the fight for the end... They're all standing together, you know, big and Hulk smash. He's listening to orders from Captain America. Sure. So I think uh, the, the the great thing that uh, Whedon did by changing the Hulk character a little bit after it was handed off to uh, Mark Ruffalo was you actually see a difference in the character. The fact that he can transform at will means that also one would assume he has more cognitive control over the transformation and the rage. Sure. You know, this is one of my problems with, with the Incredible Hulk in in mass media outside of the comic book. And uh, it, it's been perpetuated mostly by the television show that we are all familiar with from the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. And in the subsequent films all done is that the Hulk is a mindless rage machine. Now, the Hulk can be a mindless rage machine. But much like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein's monster in the book Frankenstein, the monster is not ignorant. The monster has a deep vocabulary and a, and a massive understanding of the human condition. Uh, he also, by the way, is not called Frankenstein. <laughs> yes. The Hulk is the same way. Spoilers. When the, is, when the Hulk is introduced in Marvel Comics, yes, he is a monster by comparison to the wimpy Bruce Banner that he comes from, but he is not a mindless rage machine. He has a personality. He has introspection. He understands who and what he is. Uh, he willingly joins and helps form the the Avengers originally, and then turns his back on them when they refuse to see him as anything but a monster. Right. And he walks away from the group. He's like, "Look, you know, you guys, I'm not just this giant thug. I'm I, I'm more than just that." And he turns and he leaves. The idea that the Hulk is a rage machine is something that's been perpetuated mostly in the televised and, and visual arts for the Incredible Hulk. The idea that the Hulk is a fighting member, a cognizant fighting member of the team, is who the Hulk should be. Right. The best Hulk comics have been not Banner's struggle with this inner demon, uh, like in the first Incredible Hulk movie that we got. Mm-hmm. 
and not Banner trying to control the Hulk, which is what we see in the second Hulk movie, but more of what we get out of Ruffalo's Hulk this time around, which is when I control the Hulk, the Hulk may be a different person than me. He is the Hulk, but he is he's in control. He's he's a guy. And he's not just a, a, a crazy, impossible monster. He manages to quip. A, a, a crazy monster does not quip. A crazy monster does not beat someone up and go, puny god. Yeah. That is the Incredible Hulk that I grew up with reading Hulk reading, comics yeah. and reading the Avengers. And, and even more recently, the, the Planet Hulk stuff, which I, I hope they get to in the films. The Hulk is, you know, this rational being. And I'm kind of disappointed that all the early stuff from Avengers 2 shows, even though there may be some wanky mind control going on, Savage Hulk again. I, I, I want to see, see Hulk that can sit down at the conference table and have a conversation with somebody. All right, but he won't fit in the conference table or not break the chair. So why did, wouldn't he turn into Banner to sit in the chair and have a conversation? Possibly. <laughs> I, I, I get all aspects of that, and I'm okay with Cognizant Hulk. I don't have a problem with that. I, you're absolutely right on the perpetuation of I am angry, I shall become Hulk and then smash. We even get it from Captain America inside this film. Hulk, smash. And you just get right. as he smiles. And I'm okay with that because that's what we've got to see at the last 15 to 25 minutes of the, the latter portion of this film. So I'm okay with that. If he'd have been gliding through the air saying, Cap, I'll take the planes. You grab the foot soldiers. Yeah. You're okay with that. Yeah, because that's the Hulk. Okay. All right. I know what we're going to do. We're going to let the audience decide. Let us know what you think, how the Hulk should be perpetuated by going to our website over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Avengers. Click on Hulk's face, no less, and you'll be taken to our web contact form where you can tell us what you think about <laughs> the Hulk's needed future and responsibilities inside of feature films. Two Guys Talking, The Avengers. Dare we say Thanos? Thanos? <gasps> Dare we? I don't know. Dare Thanos? We? <laughs> well, here he is. We get to see him in all his glory at the end of the the shot here, and it's obviously a squeege into the into the next feature films that are not right now and not the next film, but into future films. And sure. it's it's the piece of the fabric that we all love about Marvel. I think Guardians of the Galaxy was a giant, huge success. Mm-hmm. Uh, even for someone that has no interest in it, i.e. me, <laughs> I have no interest in it at all. But that it is an interlockable puzzle piece inside of everything else that they've made is a total score. You get to bridge off to characters that somebody might have interest in. And that's how you win the day inside of the Marvel game. Yeah, absolutely. That The idea that they have such a diverse sort of, you know, bench when mm-hmm. it comes to yeah. people they can yeah. pull up yeah. that they still own uh, right. after having sold off so many of them. The bench at Marvel is deep, and it's not just deep with, oh, there's the guy that's like, or here's the dude yeah. whose power set is. Yeah, or another they're, guy in a suit. They're people. Right. They're, they're people. Yeah. I, I brought this up earlier. You know, you can do an entire movie with the Guardians of the Galaxy because the personalities of Rocket Raccoon and Star-Lord and 20 or 30 years worth of Drax right um and gamora and the backstory there with her you can make thanos a legitimate a legitimate force without having him be oh here i am with the gauntlet and i'm going to destroy the universe um even using the collector the way oh, they yeah. did and and nowhere most people didn't didn't get 
you know that that's the head of a celestial. Celestial. Yeah. The fact that they put celestials in a Marvel in a Marvel movie. I'm going to talk about beings that could come and smash Thanos down if they got wind of what he was doing. Uh, also incredible. And the fact that they can pepper their all of their movies with these characters and these places and these ideas. And if at some point in the future they go, you know what, let's pick up that tangent. Let's pick up that string and run with it because I think we can, we, I think we can tell that story. I think there's a, an interesting film to be made uh, using that is testimony to what they're doing right at Marvel Cinematic Universe, at Marvel Studios, and what Marvel has done correctly mm-hmm. as a comic book force for, you know, the the entirety, practically, of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two guys talking! The Avengers! The puny voice of Lou Ferrigno. Of course, we're referring to the ragdoll moment inside of Marvel's Avengers, which is... Easily the rip roarnest oh my god, the audience goes crazy moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's several of those inside this film, but that's got to be the one. It was the very first animated GIF that I remember seeing being pulled out of that movie and used inside of whatever website.com. Yes, the Bam yeah. Bam movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is extraordinary. It's it's something you never thought you would see inside of a Marvel movie. And by the way, here it is. And it's definitely something that Loki never thought he would see. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, what works about it is just comes out of nowhere because you're seeing Loki getting into this big rant and you're thinking one kind of fight is coming up. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it just turns into a lopsided ass kicking. Yeah. I mean, oh, it, yeah. There's no, well, if you also think about <laughs> there's no it, addressing it, we went two out, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes earlier into this movie where Thor and Hulk are, you know, going against each other equally. They're neither one is really getting the upper hand. Mm-hmm. And their next scene is Thor against Loki. And again, it's equal, equal, equal. But there's a realization that the reason why Loki doesn't is able to hold his own against Thor is because it's his brother. And right. Thor is not going all out mm-hmm. on Loki. And when we get to Hulk, it's like, yeah, you ain't my brother. Mm-hmm. I don't care about you. And in three seconds later, we exactly see how much power easily Thor could t- you know, could twist Loki around his finger. Mm-hmm. If he wanted to, mm-hmm. which is part, again, this dynamic of why Loki is such a great character because of that connection with his main villain or his <laughs> with his main adversary, mm-hmm. Thor. Oh, he's got the goods and he uses them to his advantage at every opportunity. Sure. That, that, yeah. That's the fun. That's a piece of that fun that Loki has. It's not just everybody else that he gets over on. It's in particular his brother Thor yeah. and regularly. Yeah. And this is actually where the rage machine works very well. Sure. Well, absolutely. Loki depends upon trickery upon gimmicks upon you know so if it was thor all of a sudden he'd be grabbing a ghost because he has that time to create the spell to make an illusion hulk just went instantly yeah and there was no the discussion fight, yeah there was no talking there was no model there was no yeah it's like right, well, mid, there's mid-stream. no villain monologue yeah there was no breath he grabbed him midstream and started throttling like he a tried to monologue and hulk <laughs> okay. don't monologue that's exactly correct <laughs> well the up the upside of this is Throughout the entire movie, Loki has been boasting about the inferiority of humans. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. with the exception of his brother, none of the Avengers are anything but humans. Mm -hmm. Human in a tin can. Human with a shield. um, You know, human with bow and arrow, for God's sake. Human with guns. Right. And uh, so when, 
if he steers clear of his brother and plays the whole, you're not going to kill me, I'm mom's favorite against him, he should be okay. Well, he doesn't realize that there is a human on the planet Earth that is superior to him. His fallacy is that, is that he believes himself superior to all beings on the planet, and Hulk lets him know that he's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You, mm-hmm. you, He can get away with calling the Black Widow a mewling quim, but you're not going to get away with monologuing to the Hulk when the Hulk wants to smash. Actually, it goes to one of the other great lines of the movie is when he's monologuing with Tony, and Tony go, and he goes, I have an army. We have the Hulk. It's like, yeah, he told you in the beginning. Yeah, you were warned. <laughs> you were warned. Yes, it's like you were the one that wanted the monster there. Yeah, it's extraordinary storytelling, and the movie could have gone on for probably another hour with all kinds of rip-roaring ass-kicking, and I don't think anybody would have minded it at all. And that's when you know you've got a really special movie. We are running incredibly long here during the perspective review of Marvel's Avengers 2012, directed by Joss Whedon, and we will be right back after these puny commercials. What are your Star Wars action figures worth? How can you make your own Boba Fett costume? Looking for direction when it comes to whether or not you should contemplate that Slave Leia outfit at the next local fan con? Look no further than the Galaxy Cast podcast, science fiction fandom, and more. GalaxyCast.com May the Force be with those who listen. Looking for a straightforward user interface and a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at Acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Baseball. It's way more than just balls and strikes. And if you've ever driven or walked by a cornfield and heard a small but vital voice urge you to act, then you've only got one thing left to do. Check out the Two Guys Talking Baseball perspective review of 1989's Field of Dreams. Starring Kevin Costner, a bunch of dead baseball players, memories, and the way to have a catch with your dad. Step up to the digital plate today by accessing twoguystalkingbaseball.com. Only from the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. 
don't miss the review of HBO's True Blood during the Fang Banger podcast from Two Guys Talking. Great entertainment with real bite. Check it all out at fangbangerpodcast.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking perspective review of 2012's Marvel's Avengers, directed by Joss Whedon, starring a cast of way too many for me to list. Just as every movie has the goods, there's also the bad. Now, I don't know what the hell happened with Hawkeye in our previous missives inside the goods, and I don't think we're going to mention him here inside the bads because, again, I... I had no intention of... Well, let's put him in here anyway. <laughs> so, Hawkeye. <sighs> let's hash it out. What What is the fix for Hawkeye? Except that he's going to get redeemed in the second film? Well, he got redeemed halfway through this film. I mean, you know, Natasha he not, becomes, out of arrows, snaps he, him out of he it. He runs and, out of arrows, shoots the, the grappling hook to get out of the way. But that's real. That's realism right but there. You're going to run out of arrows. I think, that, I think that the redeeming moment for Hawkeye in this film, and he does have a redeeming moment and, and his use is shortly after Natasha snaps him out of the mind control. He tells her, point blank, he says, you know, we're, we're playing in the big leagues here. You know, these are not normal people we're hanging out with. We're used to being the most badass agents there are, the people that the rest of the agents look at and, and quiver because we are the superior people, but we're nothing compared to these people. And he makes that point very, very clear to her. That's when the both of them come to the realization that even though they're not playing in the league they should be playing in, that they have a duty and a purpose. And it's the purpose. It's the idea that Hawkeye says to Natasha and the audience, I am outmatched here. I should not be doing this. But because I'm not going to let these people and the planet Earth down, I'm going to go out with a bow and arrow and stand on top of a building and fight back an alien invasion. And I think that's the redeeming quality to Hawkeye. Other than that, you're right. He's <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the what? 17 arrows of whatever ilk that he has in his, in his quiver. Doth not help when you have hundreds, if not thousands of alien soldiers. <laughs> but he was calling things out, which is what Cap told him to do. Get up on the top of the thing and call, call out, call out what, where it's going. He was where, the eyes in the, the sky. Here's one you of the need things those that things. here's the thing that you, to look at it like this. In comics you have Superman side by side with Batman. We're talking about you know this movie's coming out and we're supposed to believe that Batman is actually a threat to Superman. Superman can pick up the moon and throw it at Batman. <laughs> and there are times in the past he could sometimes yeah. Anyway, they're not even in the same planet category literally, literally. and but comic books are based upon the premise that a guy with a bow and arrow can fight side by side with a guy with a hammer that is the most powerful weapon in the universe. And they both get the job done. That's just part of what comic books are, is where the guy with just the, the guy with a gimmick and the guy with real powers stand as equals next to each other. And I don't, I don't shoot down any of that. What I shoot down is 17 arrows. Sorry. <laughs> when you when 17 arrows get gone and you don't either pick up a gun or go grab the arrows which he did do yeah. uh, i'll give him that he did go back and grab arrows out of the bodies which i guess an arrow he knows where to shoot the alien so they'll die after he shoots them once sure why not okay fine yeah but that's normal for everybody so true <laughs> true true yeah it's it's about as realistic as completely untrained individuals 
after a zombie apocalypse, picking up handguns and headshotting from about 50 yards out <laughs> reliably. So, you know. Oh, no, it's, it's okay. I play video games. Right. And I think it's also as <laughs> most logical as taking a knife and breaking it through a skull. <sighs> you know. <laughs> I know when I try to do that, it doesn't work. Oh, no. Yet another villain that allows themselves to be caught. Now, everyone knows that we're trumpeting the wonder of this movie as a great thing. Just as many will trumpet how wonderful The Dark Knight was, i.e. Chris Nolan's film Batman 2 asterisk starring Christian Bale. And Heath Ledger. Let's and, not forget Heath Ledger. And Heath Ledger. Eh. And which I and, think is... Well, I, yeah, totally, and I yeah. agree. The problem is that inside of that film also, as well as three or four others that came out, if not that same year, then in subsequent years, it's yet another movie where the villain allows himself to be captured because the master plan includes the capture and then every subsequent thing that has to fall into place to happen. And that's what that's the again, it's a huge nitpick. So please spare me the hate uh, mail. Well, but it's not because what it is, is it's lazy. It's a trope. It's one of those things that you see over and over and over wait, 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 and wait, wait over again. What if what if Loki allows himself to be captured? Sure. Write that then, down. Then Write we down. can then we can reasonably have a scene between him and Black Widow. Otherwise, how is there ever going to be that scene unless Loki is in a cage? It, it's a trope. It's something that's used constantly. You, you know, you said that there was multiple movies just that that same mm-hmm. year that that used that. It happens constantly on television. It happens in comic books. It happens in literature. It happens in video games. It it is something that is uh, part of the part of the culture, part of the zeitgeist. And quite frankly, it's a little bit lazy. Yes. I want to have a scene where Loki and Black Widow spar mentally. The only way you can do that is if he's captured. Period. End of sentence. Also, he has a plan from the get go to break in and break back out. Actually, I was going to go. I was thinking along that line. Just. Unlike a lot of the other villains who have these plans where, you know, Joker has this convoluted plan for him to get out again. Mm -hmm. Technically speaking, Loki should be powerful enough that really, outside of Thor, nothing in S.H.I.E.L.D. should be able to stop him from leaving. Sure. So he should be able to just walk out of the place without them even knowing he walked out of the place. Because, you know, his little illusion tricks. They don't actually have a means to hold him. He is there really of his own will. Yes. And there is a little bit of the fact that the heroes are acknowledging the fact that this is a little bit suspect because, like, wait a minute. Why are you still here? After their fighting. Well, and why was it so easy? Right. Yeah, even they are seeing it as a little bit of there's something going on Mm -hmm. here. So at least they are playing a little bit better than total blindside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I think the bigger problem is, is the logic in Loki's plan doesn't quite gel completely. Is what he's at, what he's after? I don't think is really gelling all that well in the thing. It's not necessarily that he got captured and they used this thing, but it's like why he did it. His reasoning just wasn't the best, in my opinion. The Chitari take hostages. Now I get we're in a Marvel movie, but guys, if you've watched any of the most recent episodes of Agents of Shield you'll see lots of shootings and executions that go on inside of that television show. And so murder, death, kill can happen and does happen inside of the Marvel cone. I thought it was incredulous. Those two Chitari soldiers 
are holding hostages in that antechamber where Cap comes in and essentially rescues them by dodging a couple of grenades and and uh, shield thunking another one. Well, I, I, that doesn't make any damn sense to me at all. Nothing. Actually, I, the way I pl- way I saw the scene was not so much as in a hostage scene, but basically mass roundup to shoot everybody at once. Fish it, in a barrel. It was fish in a barrel thing. It wasn't that they were trying to have hostages. It's just that they wanted to kill as many people in a single shot as possible. So And Cap interrupted them from... I, I, I have an alien weapon that I, will, as long as I hold down the trigger, but discharge they were, weaponry. <laughs> yes, but remember, the bomb was not initially for Cap. If I remember right, the bomb was initially to be thrown into the crowd. E- uh. e- either way, it didn't happen. And there was a period of time where they're standing there wondering what Cap's going to happen. If I'm any of those guys, I, I kind of go back to the, you know, the failure of imagination is what has hurt America in general. So inside the space program, failure of imagination inside of Apollo 1. We would have never thought that in a, in a test bed for astronauts where they're, they're not even in space anywhere, we lock the doors and they suffocate. Never in the plan anywhere. Failure of imagination. Uh, and almost failure of imagination again in the space program, Apollo 13. Nothing of what solved that problem was ever on the books. And it's something they came up with off the cuff. 9-11. A total failure of imagination. How could anybody take planes and fly them into buildings? Well, and the answer is they can, well, and they well, did. Except for the fact that a couple, couple, three, four years before that, Excellent. it was it was uh, the, the uh, Lone Gunman, their television show. It was the entire plot point to the very beginning of their show was somebody took control of a plane and literally was going to fly it into the Twin Towers, and they managed to turn it on its edge and fly right between... Oh, wow. The towers and save everybody. Who so knew Al Qaeda was such a big uh, X Files fan? Right, you know. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a lack of imagination, as it is literally. It's it's lazy writing. It's it's lazy well, writing. And where I was going with the point is this: is that having the mindset of terrorists, in particular the ones that are flying a plane in a building, is what I would expect from Chitari soldiers. I.e., look, people, murder. That, that's it. There, there is no other mission inside of New York City. Look at the people, murder them, and move on. That's it. However, it gave in, I, as you pointed out before, saying Venus is a Marvel movie, and given some of the feedback we heard about the Man of Steel movie, mm-hmm. which did just go ahead with the concept of mm-hmm. people being killed by the Fodder. thousands Fodder. Uh-huh. In, in this fight, and people found it extremely offensive sure. that people were being killed with that kind of fodder, and the Avengers were saving people. Actually, sometimes I almost do think the Man of Steel was trying to up the Avengers game sure. by saying, okay, the Avengers did this in New York City, watch what we can do in New York City, and up the ante. Or Metropolis. And, um, that's something else that we, I don't know that this is a platform for it, but that's the other thing that matters. This is New York. Right. There's no doubt about that this, look look at the blocks that you can recognize from any one of a number of newsreels, and it's going to town. No doubt about it. The point to the scene is, literally, they get and they're saying, okay, Cap needs to save some people and he needs to have a fight with some Chitari. So they lazily write their way into that. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's, uh, let's have them rounding a bunch of people up in a bank or something. Okay. Whatever. They, they, they wanted to stage those two events. Captain America saves people. Mm-hmm. Cap rolls in. And, rips and he, gets a, he gets to hand-to-hand fight some Chitari. So it, it, was, 
Like I said, it's the entire scene is there because it, it, it's just lazy writing. Wait a second, though, aren't, aren't you making the assumption that they gathered the people into that spot and not that the people ran there to hide and they're following them in? Even if that's the case, even if that's the case, like Mike said, they could have walked through the front doors, two of them, and killed everyone in there before Captain America even saw them go in. How about while? When they know Captain's coming... It's time to murder. That's what terrorists do. And it what's and that's kind of what I'm talking about, the mindset. It's yeah, time except to for the kill. fact that I would just say this. They're not terrorists. They're soldiers. Soldiers are not going to go after the civilians when the sol- when the enemy soldiers in the vicinity. Are they soldiers of Allah? No, they're, they're soldiers are, of Thanos. And are, that's yeah, probably are, worse. <laughs> the Chitari are bloodthirsty creatures. The only The only explanation for that scene to give it a positive spin where the writing is concerned is loki wants to rule earth and so you, you must can't slave labor you can't okay, rule without having subjects, subjects. Yeah, okay. so you can't rule enough. dead people that that's actually the best argument i think <laughs> needing to take the disbelief pills black widow's jump hawkeye's quiver distant impossible communication although it is all stark tech we all know that this is a comic book movie, and we have to take the deep, dark, blue, red, and or purple disbelief pills. <laughs> sure. There, regularly. There, there is a main character that literally breaks all the rules of physics in his very form. Uh, more mass, more matter than what he starts with, the Hulk, obviously. And pants. And pants, of course. Well, even leaving the pants out, I mean, you know, the idea that a hundred and eighty pound, a hundred and eighty pound man can become a multi-ton thing uh, without soaking in matter from the surrounding environment. I don't even know how you would go about doing that. So, you would add gamma rays. That's how no. gamma rays, right? Yeah. Well, it's the um, and see, anger. The, the, a while ago, they just, he's pulling mass from inter- an interdimensional space. P- space he's right. pulling Hulk it. space. Yeah. 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 That's, um, <laughs> Either way, anyway. science. Sure. You know, guy in a tin suit that flies, uh, magic aliens with hammers. I, I, I think that you walk in suspending disbelief. So I'd like to hear your nitpicks here. Oh, sure. You mean where Black Widow jumps up and somehow latches onto an alien vehicle that's traveling at, what, 700 miles an hour? Not the most ludicrous thing in the movie. <laughs> it's close, though. What I wanted to see was inside perhaps an honest trailer would be where she literally jumps off a cap shield. She puts her arm up and just gets tore off. <laughs> she sure. She slumps back sure. to Earth and bleeds out. That, that <laughs> can happen. There you go. Roll credits. Thank so you. Come nice. again. It's no, a sim- no, no yeah. solo movie for yeah. you, sorry. Yeah. Stumpy. But see, yeah, there are certain <laughs> rules of physics that have always been ignored in <laughs> comics. Actually, what it is is her costume. It absorbed the energy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it is. Actually, that was Black Panther. Actually, I kind of li- like that. The costume soaks the, soaks the energy. Yeah, says, actually, well, what else you got there, Mike? <laughs> I have uh, the effervescent, never-ending Hawkeye quiver. Sure. Well, I mean, it, it does end. We see it end oh, at yeah. some point. Yeah. Well, so, man, okay, but all right, maybe he fired maybe he fired more arrows than what were actually capable of holding in the quiver, but it's no different than the endless rounds of magazine space in any shoot 'em up film we've ever seen. You know, even people that it literally are holding a a, a revolver, six shots, yeah. maybe seven because there are some that that have an extra chamber, but you know, 
Did he just fire 12 shots without reloading? Did he have two guns? I don't remember him I, having two guns. I, I, I can't. Because I can he got a 20 that. round magazine on that <laughs> on that Beretta. Well, I mean, where is he keeping all those bullets? So, okay. 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 That's fine. All right. I like so, that. so, how about distant impossible communication? Stark Tech. Stark Tech, baby. Okay. Never mind. I, said, I have no complaints. Yeah. What a yeah. great movie. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode yeah. of Two Guys Talking. Yeah. I said there's, there's probably a scene sitting on the cutting room floor where, um, so, where Fury is handing them all these little earwigs that, you know, allow people to talk. Like the Jack Bauer ones. Yeah. Right. Sure. And it's like they forgot to put that in the scene because you see at times where, if I remember right, Captain America goes to his ear and cups it and starts talking yeah and it's like i almost imagine there's a scene that explained why they could keep talking to each other even though they are two miles apart sure you know imagine how much extra i mean it was a long movie imagine how much longer the movie would be if we if everyone had a few minutes of can you hear me now all right uh, hold on a second i'm gonna go outside the building would have been a perfect opportunity for one of the many companies to actually have a product inside of the feature film sure however that on that note, I kind of, it's one of the things I kind of did like, though, is when Iron Man went through the portal and got out, you know, on the other side, <laughs> and could, he lost connect connection call, yeah. with Earth, and he yeah. lost the thing. It's like, on one level... You'll note there wasn't a Sprint logo yeah. inside of the... Inside of you the have no helmet. coverage out here. You are roaming. <laughs> I, Iron Man, you've searching entered data signal. roaming. <laughs> yeah, searching for signal. Searching for signal. Yeah. Now enacting $700 per second. Awesome. Anyway, that, that's all we've got for the bads inside the film. That's actually where we ask you guys, what else did you find, either incredulous that somehow trumps Hawkeye's forever quiver? Let us know what you think by going to our website over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Avengers. Click anywhere on Hawkeye's quiver and tell us what you think is missing from Marvel's The Avengers. Shawarma, anyone? Yes, please. Okay, so we all eat shawarma. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> well, you you do. You just call it something different. It's 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 a a gyro. I mm-hmm. mean, it's shaved meat. Uh, with, it's with sauce and vegetables fr- it, and other stuff that I yeah, don't eat. Absolutely. Okay, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, of no course. Yeah, yeah, weirdo. So you know, in, in a pita or yeah. something like that. Here's here's the gist. They shot that immediately following the premiere of the movie. So they premiered the film without an after-credit scene. It had the mid-credit scene with Thanos, but it did not have the after-credit scene. And they all went uh, uh, down to, uh, I believe, Shorma a delicatessen, City. a delicatessen near near <clears throat> where they were in Hollywood, and shot this scene. Mm-hmm. And the idea that they're all sitting around the table eating eating sandwiches in the rubble of what was New York, I thought was... I won't use the word touching because it wasn't meant to be touching, but I thought it just sort of tied a neat little bow to the end of it. These people are now family. We've watched an entire two and a half hours worth of strangers coming together for a common cause. And at the end of the day, they're family. They're family sitting around a table eating a dinner. Right. Well, it goes back to what you were saying, too, that Marvel makes their characters more human. Even the superhuman they're human. I could never imagine Batman, Superman, The Flash, and Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman sitting down after a battle having a meal together. But I can totally buy Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Clint Barton, Natasha Romanoff, and Dr. Banner sitting down, weary warned, just, oh, wow, that was one hell of a battle. Mmm, pass, pass the ketchup. 
See, I, I, I think the I think the DC characters could do it, except they couldn't find a director to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, to me, actually, that's the part. That's the part I didn't like, about, or that was to me was missing was the fact that they weren't talking. How many me, times have you had a meal where? Right, but see, I wanted, no one was saying yeah, anything, man. Yeah. But see, to me, that's why to me it failed. It. Lacked that I what, wanted. What, that what is the dialogue bar. that would have made the scene? Tell yeah. me. I don't know. I just I did because they've swayed me. Yeah. I'm off your yeah. I'm off your yeah. team now. Yeah. I don't care. About I don't. You. Yeah, this is, I just don't <laughs> care for this. I didn't care for the scene. I don't care for the scene after you know make you sit through all the credits to get to that scene. If it would have been hot dogs, is this kind of a uh, it, no. it, it, fair it, thing? So Tony Stark fair. actually said after finishing his play code, "Okay, yeah, no, this sucks." Right. Would that have done, would that yeah. have made it better for you? Yeah, Because he was the I one was, who suggested it. I was it. wrong. Yeah. No shawarma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. That would have been it would have given that little quib of a thing that it, would have fit the the, the Would have been better if like, Thor threw his on the ground. More another of these <laughs> Yeah. Something or a Hulk, actually because wasn't he still Hulk or was he did he no, lose he, was, he, was he went banner, back to banner. I couldn't yeah. remember when he went back to banner. How about banner goes Hulk full? <laughs> I the the scene the I think the scene did exactly what it was supposed to do to just show you this is a family at dinner and whatever happens going forward these people are tight the wedges the wedges will come and go but these people are tight they're a family yeah. now I, I I will be swayed to the not so dark side with you guys I I and, will, I will yeah. buy that. I think the other thing that might have been the thing that threw me on that is that scene occurs before the end scene of the movie. What? That happens at the end of the fight. But at the, after the fight, we see Thor take Loki back to Asgard. We see them getting in the car, going off in different yes. directions, and right. them breaking up and going different ways. Sure. This thing comes out of nowhere. It's something that occurs before right. all of that stuff, actually, at the end of the movie happens. So it's a flashback. Yeah, so that's what I said. To me, it didn't work. And so we come to the part of the Two Guys Talking Perspective review of Marvel's The Avengers 2012, directed by Joss Whedon, where we rate this feature film. The scale works like this. One horrible, abysmal pass. Ten awesome, wow, marvel plus. Every movie starts at a seven. You go up and down for goods and bads. No halvesies. David, what do you got? It was the culmination of what they'd been working on for years. All those other Marvel movies had come into it. They, they, they whipped them all together. Like I said, they gave certain characters their time in the sun. Uh, Nick Fury, for example. They, they paid short shrift to some people. Hawkeye, for example. Though the idea that he was introduced and is now actually on the team, I think, is going to pay off further down the road. There were some very minor problems with the film. I think we've really torn through those. The joy of me sitting in the theater at my local Warenberg theater, by the way, and watching this film, it, it, it was unequaled. I didn't feel the joy for this film that I going to any of the Star Wars prequel movies, which is something I waited all of my adult life for. I didn't feel the, the joy of that film going to see anything that I could think of in recent memory. I was just elated that it had come to this, that we had gotten to this point. I've mentioned in other podcasts, my Uncle Steve, who's now no longer with us, was the guy that got me started when I was very, very young, reading comic books, being involved in this culture, so to speak. Uh, the thing I thought as I left the movie theater was, my uncle would have loved this. And I don't think that I personally can give a movie 
uh, a higher kudos than to say that my Uncle Steve would have loved this film. I give it a nine. Nine. Nick, what do you got? Well, the way that I look at the Avengers is not only is it an achievement in and of itself. I mean, Joss Whedon proved that you can weave several different characters from other films, put them in a movie, and make it believable. Mm -hmm. Never been done before. True, true. Great movies have come and gone. I have never felt such an excitement about a film property. This came out in 2012. Mm -hmm. Go back to 2000. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge X-Men fan. Mm -hmm. The joy that I had sitting in the theater watching the X-Men from Brian Singer on the screen pales into comparison how bubbly I was the entire time I was sitting in that seat in the darkened theater watching the Avengers. Sure. I have never gone to see a movie more times in a theater than the Avengers. I give it a 10. Well Absolute said. 10. Well said, Kip. Two things. Mm -hmm. I've been an Avengers fan over all other teams, all other titles since 1976. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, that's been my favorite title, period. Mm -hmm. Though to see it hit the big screen, never would have imagined it because Avengers was too below everybody's radar. Sure. And the fact that they can take something that is below everybody's radar with Marvel's second tier, third tier characters, because they sold away the property to their first tier characters for mm -hmm. the most part, except mm -hmm. for the Hulk. Hulk mm -hmm. is a first tier character. The fact that they can pull that off. So you go from a fan like me who's been, you know, since 1976 to one of my coworkers has no interest, has zero interest in the comic book world, superheroes, knew nothing about these properties whatsoever going into it. Because I don't think she even saw Iron Man, Thor, no idea who they are. And she loved the movie. So you have, you know, lifelong fan to somebody who has no interest in the property. Mm -hmm. And both walk away loving the property. Even though it's hard to say a 10 because there's always room for improvement, I'm still going to say a 10. I think that's a tremendous number for this film. I kind of go back in the same vein as Nick, where you think about all the movies that have ever tried to pool talent. And I'm not just talking about superhero movies. I'm talking about any movie that you can remember where they're trying to grab talent from one property into another. Whether it's super-based or not, it's a difficult road to hoe. Because you've got to be able to partition off at least the writing into all aspects of what you're going to be watching. Uh, being able to do that and do it successfully... It's something I would have never thought they'd be able to pull off, especially with as many characters as we're looking at inside of this. Uh, I look at some of the subsequent films that we've seen. Iron Man 3 comes to mind almost instantly, where you see a very strange pairing inside of that film. Definitively not my favorite Marvel film, but makes its own flavor regardless of what I thought of the movie. Uh, there's some excellent tech inside of that movie. The tech inside of this movie, you already kind of know it all. So there's nothing new to be introduced, uh, with maybe the exception of what happens with the Tesseract that they don't really detail. It just gets put into this new machine, and the new machine opens up the wormhole, and that's, that's kind of it. Uh, other than that, there's no new tech to be garnered. Um, being able to find and marvel in something called the Helicarrier, finally, where it's not just some awesome pieces or a widespread frame inside of two comic book pages. It literally pops off the ocean and flies and allows our heroes to go places. When you see the the something we totally glossed over was the fixing scene that Iron Man partakes in inside of fixing the helicarrier. 
that is a tremendous scene because that's one of those little team ups that we uh, almost kind of accidentally glanced on inside of this review where there's a lot of those where you get team ups of the different pieces, parts, characters to do something that they were able to achieve all of this inside of an overarching arc inside of two hours plus is a marvelous development. And it proves positive that you can do giant scope writing movies like this with absolute abandon. And that's success. That really is success. I too give Avengers a 10. And for those that are curious, that matches my Captain America original feature film, the first Avenger. It matches that. Uh, this off the page feel that you get from this film in comparison to what you look at inside of Avengers comic books is indiscernible. It, it is a one-to-one creation that is tremendous. And that's where we ask you what you think of 2012's Marvel's Avengers. Let us know what you think by going over to twoguystalking.com forward slash Avengers. Fill out the quick web form on the right-hand side of the page and tell us what did you think of this great feature film. The franchise. I don't even know where to start except that, guys, we have, you realize we have more than 15 years of more awesome coming, right? Sure, well, (laughs) Avengers, you know, usually when we talk about franchising, we talk about, let's use Alien for an example. If you review the movie Alien, you talk about, well, where is this going to go? We know where it went, and you you can kind of look on that. The Avengers is the back end of a franchise. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it is literally the the cap on the first portion the of first an brick. ever going. It's the first brick, right? The, of an ever going franchise. Mm-hmm. It, you almost can't talk about the franchise on this because this is the end result of a franchise. It, it is the point which they got up to. If they had never made another movie after this, they could have said, "Here's your package. Here's your Marvel Cinematic Universe Avengers stuff." Oh, here they you did go. That. Here's, they did that with the Tesseract that here's, comes here's your in, a sil- in a silver in, in, box. In the box, right. Yeah. Here's your franchise, and we're done. And they could have walked away from it at that point because that, that would have been the end point of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that they're continuing on is, you know, nothing but joy and elation. Yeah. You know, the, one of the next movies, Cap- the Captain America 2, I think is a better film than The Avengers. I agree. So, I agree. Which is why I left room in The Avengers review we just gave for the, the pinnacle that is Captain America oh, 2. Oh, wait, let me go erase my score. You know, don't do that. The idea that they'll be able to carry on is... Uh, sort of a completely different tangent than where this film stops. Yeah. Um, yeah. They could, like I said, they could easily have just been done here. The fact that they've created a sequel, it almost isn't a sequel. It is almost like they did with the Avengers, sort of the capping point of the next portion of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's got franchise potential, obviously, <laughs> because it was already the end of a franchise. The thing about the Avengers onto the franchise things is it has definitely placed the bar so... Hi, because you're talking about aliens. And we've seen so many of these things where by the third and the fourth movie, the franchise is the is f- dead. It's crashing. Oh, yeah. It's crashing under its own weight. And there might be some times where they come back with a revival, but they still never really hit the magic of the first. Avenger Marvel movies have just were moving on upward scale, though there have been some drops. I think Iron Man two and Iron Man three Quality-wise, are just not quite up to par with, like Avengers or Winter Soldier, but they're not. You know, they don't tank. They don't tank. Right? They don't tank the franchise. They're just eh. 
there's still, and to be honest, Iron Man three still was a phenomenal sure I, earning I, movie. And I think Two Guys Talking gives both of those films north of seven, right? But we haven't done three yet. Oh, the reason well, we haven't done three is because I frankly didn't care for it. So it is. They've created it's created such a high standard that it's almost like my is like, are we going to start seeing the bat nipples and Batman and Robin where they started crashing the Batman franchise? Back sure. Well, I'm going to go back to or, Alien. I'm going to go back to Alien as a really great representative sample because you've got Alien, phenomenal movie, 1979, awesome. You have Aliens. 1986, uh, uh, topping the pinnacle, more phenomenal. The pinnacle, really. Yeah. 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 Then you have Alien 3, terrible. Then you have Alien Resurrection, which even alien. more terrible. Then you've got the accidental AVPs. dance of the Alien versus Predator films that are tacked on to that, both of which also flounder. And what's missing inside of all of that recipe is that there's actually a plan. There is a plan for what's going on inside of the Marvel Universe, which none of those feature films inside of the Alien Universe, even the first two, they never, they, never a time inside of Alien was there a, you know, we've got to build this so that there can be a sequel. Well, that was never that was never the intention. It's also it. the property. They made a bunch of diehard movies. They all made money. Everybody loves Bruce last Willis. The last one didn't make money? The last one tanked. Really? Anytime, Every, a, anytime a movie opens in February, you can okay. So it was not every, a good death. day. To everybody, die hard. everybody <laughs> loves Bruce Willis. Everybody loves car chases. Everybody broke. loves explosions. Everybody loves shootouts. Well, that's fantastic, but it is also very one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the source material and the fact that when Marvel goes back to the well, there's still another thousand feet of water in the well. They're they're never getting the bucket anywhere near the bottom. Right. right. And I think that that is probably why. They can make movies until they decide they don't want to anymore. Mm-hmm. But going back though, Batman and Robin, the original, they had the same well to go to, and they it floundered because I think again they didn't have an overall direction, and you know oh, changing to yeah. You know, I, I think there was too many visions inside yeah. of what Batman was supposed right. to be, and that's why it failed. Yeah, and it just it and it says and this is when you add new directors, new people running things. That's where things start getting, and perhaps the thing is, is that Kevin Feige is over and keeping the course on the right track, rather than allowing some, you know, somebody decide, you know, we're going to make this a really silly movie and be, and to denigrate the material, because that's the one thing that we have not seen. Comic book material, comic book movies have the. It's real easy for people to go from being humor and fun. To denigrating the source material, Amazing Spider-Man. I think that's where that's the danger. As long as we stay out of the thing where we start denigrating and start being silly or start going off on ridiculous tangents, it can keep going. But again, it's set the bar high, and it's like we don't want to see it ever go below that. Mm-hmm. And it's never happened. This well, maybe James Bond. Maybe James Bond has held its bar. Yeah, but it's all career. it's also had its dumps in the dumper. Yeah, yeah but it's still but it's overall you still it's not like you haven't said okay, I've never seen another James Bond movie. True. But it's only because of the quality that's happened in the last maybe three films. You you look at anything prior to that and it's always got somewhere where it, it bails. The parachute doth not open. Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> the uh the if thing where car. the franchise is really concerned when you have to look at Marvel is you can't just look at the movies anymore. Yeah. Because as we've been saying for a very long time on the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, 
it's all connected. Yeah. You've got to look at everything now, not just the films, but everything they're doing on network television mm-hmm. and everything they're doing on Netflix. Yeah. And it's all, everything is now building to yet another cap off. I think all of this stuff that we're seeing right now, it's going to be building to the next Avengers films. Avengers, Infinity War, Part 1, and Part 2. Years away from now. But that means we've got so much building up to do. Yeah. And so completely. much so much that that we're expecting and so much that we're going to be completely blown away with. You know, but the joy of what they're doing is you don't have to pay attention to any of it. My wife is a perfect example. She is the farthest thing from a fan of anything comic related. Mm-hmm. The farthest thing. My daughter is the opposite. She's much like myself. My wife went to go see the Avengers film. She didn't go see all of the movies that led up to it. She had a great time. She knew who these people were, and she had a great time. She watched the film, much like Kip was saying about the person that he works with. Uh, We went and saw Guardians of the Galaxies, and she said, that's the best Marvel movie yet. And this is, once again, she didn't know who any of these characters (laughs) were. I I didn't either. At all. I I knew none of those people. But but not being even a fan of the the work. Mm -hmm. She sat down, watched that film with my daughter and I, and, and was like, this is the best movie they've done so far. You don't have to... Watch every episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Daredevil and all the one-shots and Peggy Carter and whatever else they throw at us to really enjoy what they're doing in these films. The films stand on their own. You can watch Captain America 2 without having seen any of the other films and really revel in what they do and and get what's going on without having anything, any other connectivity to it. So I think that's where their success lies. Not on the fact that you have to watch a backlog of nine movies before you go see this film mm-hmm. because and, and and two seasons of a TV show yeah. to get a feel for what's going on. You literally can walk into that movie blind and sit down probably and, and enjoy it on, on many levels. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And that's actually where we ask you guys, what, did, what do you think of the propensity and the success level of the franchisability of not just the, the Avengers but also of everything inside the Marvel Universe. Let us know what you think by going to our website over at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com forward slash Avengers. Fill out that quick web form on the right-hand side and tell us what did you think of Marvel's Avengers. What a great podcast, guys. Thanks so much for participating. And until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Kip Lewis, your other host. And I'm David Kareet, another one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, the stranger from the manger. (laughs) Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
We're going to skip the generals because, again, we're pushing for time. you got to get gone by 9.30, yes? 10.30. Oh, 10.30. Okay, good. So let's go back and we do all these other ones. In particular, <laughs> Hawkeye. No, just kidding. <laughs> He's going to clip the entire Hawkeye segment. You know <laughs>